You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 416 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. Damn. And don't scream. Just hear what we've got to say. Then scream. Because tonight we are joined by a very, very special guest, Brian Salisbury. Say hello, Brian. Fucking hold down, pole dunk well, them there, motherfuckers. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best line in the movie. I thought, God, I, guys, I, I thought Brian Salisbury was joining us, not Billy Zane. <laughs> I still tell people to this day that my son Zane is named after him. Not because it's true, but because it really irritates my wife. <laughs> uh, I mean, how could that irritate anybody? I mean, I don't want to jump into this already, but Billy Zane in this movie is just... Uh, there are no words to describe what he's doing in this movie. It's just... <laughs> there there are thing. words to describe. It's mugging for the camera, and I am fucking here for it because, oh my God, he's amazing. All right, we have so much to talk about. And if you've listened to us for a while, you know that we like to get into really deep dives and typically spend longer than the actual runtime of the movie analyzing the movie. But we have a little bit more of a time crunch tonight. So we have just a, a ton that we're going to try to power through. So let's start diving into things. And, uh, yeah, tonight we're talking about Demon Knight. Well, sorry, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Or is it Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight? What is the full official title of this movie? I think it's Demon Knight, a Tales from the Crypt joint, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Title. Spike Lee presents Aaron Sorkin's Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. <laughs> I mean, that's Lerman's William Shakespeare's <laughs> Romeo and Demon Knight. <laughs> Romeo plus Demon Knight. Demon Romeo plus night. Plus Demon yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> God. Uh, so if you uh, if, if you missed our 1995 popcorn punch out and want to know why are we covering Demon Knight? Well, first off, because this movie is just awesome. Um, but it is also the first time that I've seen it. And I cannot wait to share some of my thoughts because I think that I'm the only one here that uh, that had not seen it before. So in this, our this was part of I have to just I have to tell you this right off the bat. This was part of the worst uh, family reunion weekend in terms of movie choices of my entire life and things <laughs> I still have regrets about. I've told this story before, but essentially we had a big family reunion in southern Illinois and a bunch of cousins that I was just meeting for the first time. Uh, had come to my grandmother's house, and uh, they decided to go to the movies. And this tiny town had just gotten a multiplex, right? So there were two things playing at the multiplex re that were worth seeing. Uh, well, really, it was one thing that was worth seeing. So most of the family went to Independence Day, but my younger brother <laughs> was a little bit uh, scared of all the, the world blowing up and everything. So, I, you know, he says that I made this decision to be a good big brother. I don't know. I think I had my own 
weird reasons. But instead of seeing Independence Day on the big screen with the rest of my family, I saw Kazam. <laughs> the Shaquille O'Neal genie quote-unquote comedy. One of the worst decisions I've ever made. But that same weekend, they went to the uh, gas station and rented a movie on VHS because this is the time when you could do that. And that movie was Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, and I was legitimately terrified of that, so I hid in the back room and played Nintendo. So, seriously, two of the worst (laughs) movie-viewing decisions I have ever made in my life happened in the same weekend, and one of them involved this movie. That's that's amazing. The Crypt Keeper is a a thing that absolutely fucking terrified me as a child, and we'll maybe talk about this a little bit. Uh, To the point that, like, even to this day when I see the Crypt Keeper's face, I, I feel like a jolt of panic go down my spine like if it just if i just happen to come across it unexpectedly at like a i almost said a video store at like a mckay's or used bookstore used movie store place like it's still like ever so like just sends a jolt of panic down my spine because i still have vivid i used to have very vivid nightmares about the crypt keeper murdering me and my baby brother well <laughs> I was yeah, so no, terrified no, of him as a child I was the same way, and it's weird because I grew up to basically become him, just a guy that cackles <laughs> loudly at his own terrible puns. Yeah, I. you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> well, you are in perfect company tonight, then, because uh, that, that's pretty much what this entire podcast is, is me making terrible puns, me laughing at them, Dan and Eric groaning, uh, yeah. and it's... Face palming. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love it. It's hysterical to watch Tales from the Crypt as an adult, though, and think about like how like petrified I was of this show when it's just like the goofiest shit imaginable. Oh yes, but I mean, for a kid, it is still spooky. I mean, that Crypt Keeper pu- puppet, to be fair, yeah. is still just a remarkable piece of work that is genuinely creepy to look at. It's it's unsettling the way that that thing moves, and especially in the opening of this movie when it's like the floating head effect that they do when it's walking like it. around. Still it's like really that. unpleasant. <laughs> and and like the the kid that they have in the costume walking around when the crypt keeper's actually moving. Yeah, like it's, a lot a lot of this is just like big note big note vibes from me. It's got a real uncanny valley. It's like the end of fucking sleepaway camp kind of effect where it's like, this is so unnatural that like my brain cannot compute what the fuck I'm looking at right now. Well, and why did they even need to do the the whole like CG Crypt Keeper at the beginning? Because like they have him doing just as animated stuff at the end. Doesn't make any sense. Um, but we okay, so I do want to talk about the 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 wraparound with the Crypt Keeper, but Really quick, what got us here? Eric put Demon Knight in the Skull of Decisions, and then in round one, it went up against Species, and it tied. We almost talked about Species rather than Demon Knight, which would have not been bad. Say what? It's win-win. It's it's win-win. But this is a very different kind of movie, uh, and, and I'm glad that it won. In round two, it won against Day of the Beast, and then in round three, thankfully, it won against Leprechaun. But then Leprechaun, of course, came back in the uh, in the chaos round. So, uh, so yeah, like I said, if if you've never listened to us before, we we'd like to analyze movies. We're going to dig into things. We're going to spoil this movie. If somehow you have not seen a movie that at this point is almost thirty years old, go Thank watch. Say what? I said, then you would be Nathan. <laughs> then you would be me. But I don't care as much about spoilers. Uh, so, so, yeah, if you've not yet seen this movie and care about spoilers, 
go watch Demon Knight right now and then come back and listen to us. Uh, and Dan, do you have the official Video Monsters recommendation for people who might uh, not have seen it? Of course I have it ready to go. All right. What is the Video Monsters recommendation? All right. With my apologies to the writers for The Crypt Keeper. Ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls. Welcome to another presentation of the disturbing, disgusting, and depraved video monsters, where we're here to celebrate a devilish director who finally had the guts to cast the William Sadler as an absolute literal godsend of a hero. The demented director who wasn't afraid to tell the story of Cal Hockney's Titanic 2, because of course Billy Zane went to hell once he made it back to America. A disemboweled director who isn't afraid to steal a cinematographer, wink, wink, from Spike Lee or face the wrath of Will Smith because he will put Jada Smith's name in your mouth. A diabolical director who casts a prostitute as a character and doesn't have it played by Dick Miller or CCH Pounder. (laughs) The power and blood of Christ compels you to check out and enjoy one of the few TV adaptations that actually works. Ernest Dickerson's Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Bravo. The only thing that would have made it better is if you had done it in the Crypt Keeper's voice. Uh, With all respect to John Kassir, I am not even attempting that because that man's voice is amazing. And I would just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it justice. I, I don't know how he didn't shred his vocal cords like the lead singer of Linkin Park. Yeah, and he, I just what the he fuck, can man? Still do it. I met him at a convention like three years ago, and he was like recording people's outgoing phone messages in the voice, and it sounded exactly the same. It was amazing. Yeah, truly remarkable work from him. Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah, I I can't imagine having to do that day in and day out. Can I just say I am very impressed by the lack of throwing the guest under the bus that's happening here because <laughs> the one thing y'all haven't mentioned is that we're covering demon Knight sort of for the second time because the last time i was on this show we covered the frighteners if i remember correctly yes, yes that is correct i that was the movie that was agreed upon was the frighteners which that's right apparently escaped my memory as i had watched and researched and prepared to do an episode on tales of the grip demon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go look at your uh, your letterboxed uh, uh, entry for this movie to this day, it still says, "Yeah, watch watch this movie for a podcast <laughs> for a podcast guest appearance." I mean, eventually we did an episode on it, so I did it. I watched it for a podcast. I didn't yeah, say yeah. it was yours. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're just very prepared. Uh, yeah, I wasn't gonna bring that up. I was hoping that you would though, because I think that is <laughs> hilarious, and and I love that you watched the wrong movie. And like in in the back of my mind, I was really really hoping that you watched the frighteners to prepare for tonight and that you were just gonna talk. <laughs> well, you did just recently cover the frighteners yes, on junk food cinema, right? Yeah, and then almost as soon as we locked that one down, I got an email from Nathan. Hey, do you want to be on the show again? I was like, okay, what <laughs> what is happening right now? And we did not plan that whatsoever. That was just happened. It was a very serendipitous thing that it just the the planets aligned. We also recently covered uh, Super Mario Bros, which you guys just did a great two part episode. On. Yeah, two and a half hours. Uh, I just talked about that movie. It was. Uh, 
It was pretty. It was like you want to talk about analyzing and deep diving. We went way down that uh, down that pipe for sure. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I listen to those episodes, and there's so much that I'm like, damn it, I wish that I had known that so that we could have talked about it too, because uh, you, you you posted part two one. Two hours isn't enough. We recorded. No, it's not. Because but, but between our two uh, podcasts, that's five hours worth of Super Mario Bros. coverage, and it's not enough. Yeah, we we <laughs> like recorded. How long it took me to beat the third game as a kid. <laughs> we recorded our episode the night that you dropped part one, and so it was just like, okay, there's definitely something weird going on. The 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 eight stars are or, sorry, seven stars are aligning. So uh, yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we had to have so you it back. Is. It was impossible. That, that, that's happened a couple times to us. Uh, the first was when uh, we hate, not we hate movies, uh, How Did This Get Made and Junk Food Cinema have the exact same 200th episode. We both did Action Jackson for our 200th episode. <laughs> Their 200th actually came after ours, but it was so weird. Uh, and then We Hate Movies and Junk Food Cinema did an episode on Law Abiding Citizen the exact same week. So it was just, it's just a weird, like, when you talk about certain types of movies, I think eventually the Venn diagram circles will overlap. Mm. And I'm so glad there are so many podcasts covering these uh, kinds of movies because, like you talk about uh, on Junk Food, every movie is somebody's favorite movie. And, yep, and we yep. say something very similar of not every movie is for everyone, but every movie is for someone. And so I'm, I'm glad that there are the podcasts that are championing sometimes underseen or underappreciated or just undervalued movies. Yeah, especially for a lot of these like 90s horror films. I think that we're all going back to a lot of these films that like when they were first released, you know, were kind of shit on. Like this movie didn't exactly get great reviews when it came out at the time. Oh, dude, um, it doesn't have great reviews from some of the people on Letterboxd, which is just blowing my mind. Yeah. Some of the things people Those have folks said. have obviously not seen Bordello of Blood. <laughs> oh, oh no. There, there is one review that very specifically says not nearly as good as its successor, Bordello of Blood. That person is fucking insane. Wow. <laughs> that person's name is Dennis Miller. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that person's name was Menace Diller. So, <laughs> the Dennis the Menace Miller. <laughs> Brian, oh, I'm I am so glad that you're here. Not only because we love talking to you, but also with these stars aligning. I could not think of anyone better to have joining us to talk about Demon Knight because, like you just said, you joined us a few years ago to cover uh, The Frighteners, yep. which was closing out our 90s and Oddies um, horror, uh, 90s and Oddies horror coverage for Halloween. And mm-hmm. this time, you're closing out our 1995 series. And, and so just all, all of these little coincidences for me are just like, ooh, it makes everything so not quite symmetrical, but just, you know. It, things line up, and and I love it. Well, you know the connection between the Frighteners and Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, right? Uh, I do because you have talked about it. So talk about it again. Uh, well, basically, the Frighteners was developed as the first Tales from the Crypt movie. And then Robert Zemeckis decided that it was good enough to kind of stand on its own, and Demon Knight became the de facto first actual adaptation. Adaptation is a strong word. It's not. It, it in a lot of ways is very different from the TV show because it doesn't have the sort of lesson or the mm-hmm. like the right, morality yeah. play of like an Alfred Hitchcock presents that also typified the series. And so there's there's a lot that actually is a departure from the show. But 
The Frighteners was actually supposed to be the the first Tales from the Crypt movie, and then they decided to just release it on its own. But that's that's the reason why Zemeckis is a producer not only on Tales from the Crypt but also the Frighteners as well. Yeah, they had a lot of. They basically just took like spec scripts and they were trying to you know kind of fit them into Tales from the Crypt. And they had like they were I think from Dust Till Dawn was at one point a potential like Tales from the Crypt presents, but Tarantino I think wanted too much money or so. I don't I, I can't remember what the story was, but like there's a bunch of other movies out there in the ether that were potentially tells from the crypt movies that just became their own thing. Well, it's so- kind of the same with the, the Canon Ninja movies where <laughs> you can take any Canon released Ninja movie and make it Ninja one, two and three, because they have absolutely nothing to do with one another. <laughs> there are so many movies that almost, or were pitched as, or were considered to be tales from the crypt movies that weren't released as tales from the crypt movies that either have no business being in Tales from the Crypt movie or really should have been. Yeah. It's also funny, too, because like, there's a tag at the end of this movie. There's an after credit scene where the Crypt Keeper announces that the next Tales from the Crypt movie is going to be dead easy, which is a movie that uh, does not exist. <laughs> but there was a table read of it uh, around last Christmas, I think. Ooh. Didn't they do one at the Chat Film Fest this year? Uh, no, they did a uh, they did a commentary. For Demon yeah, they just they did a commentary for Bordello of Blood. They what, had Adler Bordello? and uh, I thought they Katz. did. I thought they did the commentary for Demon Knight, and then they just had the um, the uh, how not to make a movie talking about Bordello. I think it's the other way. I don't know. I don't remember, but <laughs> they did a commentary of Bordello of Blood. I think because the thing was that Gidler uh, and Katz were uh, watching the movie for the first time and recounting how traumatic the experience was for them because this was dead easy was the movie that they were wanting to make i didn't have a chance to actually listen to the commentary so that's part of the problem is i don't remember exactly what it was yeah, but me, anyway me too because i ran out of time um yeah so i just said giddler you you did i wasn't gonna point whatever. it out whatever but. it's like <laughs> so, us so that's this is actually one of the first things that i wanted to talk about the the fact that it is a tales from the crypt movie and it does have the crypt keeper uh, book ending at the the start and the end, and also I really want to see the movie the the fake movie that they were making with John Larroquette as almost like a Hellraiser esque um, uh, just zombie bloody dude. I need to see that movie. But do you think that this movie would have had the same reaction and had the same uh, audience response? Had it not had the Crypt Keeper, like even if it was still a, you know, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight, if it was just the movie and did not have the bookends, what do you think that would have done for this movie? I don't I don't see it as having what what we call on the show the Halloween three paradox. Um, I don't I don't see that falling under this category only because I feel like and, and, you know, maybe someone who was a little bit older at the time can correct me, but I don't feel like. Tales from the Crypt was a huge mainstream success. Yeah. Like I feel like it definitely was uh, a big hit among you know its niche audience, but I don't think it was big enough that trading on the name would have <laughs> created an expectation. Especially mm-hmm. since it's the kind of thing that, unlike Halloween Three, which kind of was intended to then start its own Tales from the Crypt movie universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking about a show that was episodic, that had a different story, a different cast every single week. So I'm not even sure what the expectation would have been yeah. if people were like, I'm only seeing this because it says Tales from the Crypt. Like, I don't know what they would have been expecting if that were the case. This yeah, is also I released was... the... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
you know, I was say I was I was 19 at the time this came out, and I mean I was a diehard diehard Tales from I, I had watched it since episode one. I it was probably the first show I ever watched every episode of like the night it came out because it was always a late night HBO premiere, and. I remember I wanted to see the Demon Knight specifically because it was a Tales from the Crypt movie, but I was by no means the general public. Well, but the- were you disappointed? I guess is my <laughs> other question. Oh, oh, God, no, no, no! I was so I was excited to see it on the big screen. It was, yeah, yeah. It was it was a com- very familiar, but it like you said, it it didn't have the little parable or you know the the O Henry type of short story at twist ending, but it. It, yeah, it, it was just a big movie that s- still had the Crypt Keeper, and even though it was a the CG thing, the the full when he was full body it was very weird to me. Yep. That part was odd, but it was still so cool to see him up on the big screen and not, you know, on the TV late at night when I, especially when it first started, when I shouldn't have been still awake watching it from a foot and a half away so my parents wouldn't hear that i have the volume on <laughs> it was you, well and it was such a secret tales from the Caribbean was a, like almost like a secret love that yeah. you know very few of us had like me and my other nerd friends all enjoyed it but like we didn't talk about it with like other people very often well and do part- you think the sorry i, just, I have a quick digression yeah, yeah, ahead, do you think that the uh whenever they like do the compositing of the crib keeper's head on the body was this their like Muppet movie Kermit riding the bike kind of moment. They're like, guys, you won't believe this shit. The Crypt Keeper's going to stand up and walk around. <laughs> I'm more concerned that it was the start of the Zemeckis love affair with mocap. Oh, yeah. Because um, this led him it, down a dark it, path for sure. It really should have been that Tom one Hanks Tales from the Crypt that. episode with where he, that's kind of the start where he, what's the fucking episode where he does the Humphrey Bogart thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. That's the Tales from the Crypt episode, right? What he like puts in Humphrey Bogart and kind of like what they do with dead men don't wear plaid or something like yeah I'm pretty sure uh, like Humphrey Bogart is the star of an episode of Tales from the Crypt directed wait, by Robert is it like Zemeckis. a holodeck episode what what is hap- what is going on it's something I'm gonna have to look this up now I shouldn't have even brought it up at this but yeah there's like an episode where like he is takes clips of Humphrey Bogart and like puts him into scenes with like modern day actors and stuff like basically the early version yeah. of this like fucking a- yeah like ai cg recreated versions of kind of like some of the yeah. stuff he was doing uh, for us it, it was season six episode you murderer a plastic great, surgeon by the way criminal look like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah years later, he's a successful businessman wow so so yeah i think it's all it's all connected there yeah they use they use like footage of bogart to be the the face of the guy once he had his face changed you could have been describing a commercial where they used Humphrey Bogart to like sell vacuum cleaners or something. I was very <laughs> confused about all of that. But but yeah, Dan hit on something that kind of confirms what I was thinking, which is that with Halloween 3, to kind of go back and answer your question again, Nathan, yep. I think with Halloween 3, there was a very clear, easy to pinpoint expectation that people had, which was Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Dan said, like there wasn't that same easy to pin down expectation for Tales from the Crypt fans going to see the movie because it was called Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Like, there's really nothing that the movie doesn't deliver on if you're a fan of the show, unless you literally live for 
the the morality play of it all, which honestly is what the wraparound is. So you still get yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I'm so, one of those kids who who rented Halloween three from a gas station or was a convenience store and kept waiting for Michael Myers to show up. <laughs> <laughs> because I, and I was like, is I it's, Halloween is coming? Is that when he's going to show up? Because I I don't I think I'd watched only two oddly enough at that point because the convenience store in my very small hometown did not have a copy of Halloween one, but we had two, but yeah, I kept waiting for him to show up in three. Like I even I remember I had a friend over as a sleepover going like, you have to want this guy's so creepy. He's so creepy. And then my friend thought I was like fucking insane. <laughs> like, this, what is this murderer you're talking about? Why are we watching a movie about masks? Just treat Halloween three, like a prequel to Halloween and the clown mask that uh, Mike Myers is wearing at the beginning is a silver shamrock mask. So <laughs> part of what I was asking wasn't even necessarily like, what were the expectations of people who did love uh, Tales from the Crypt, but more of more of like that that flip side, you know, like you said, a lot of mainstream people who hadn't been watching Tales from the Crypt, they might not have had any expectations if they were going into this movie and they weren't familiar with the Crypt Keeper, if they weren't familiar with Tales from the Crypt, walking into it and seeing that start of it, it's almost like, you know, a Russian nesting dolls where you have yeah. the going into the Crypt Keeper's house and then that cuts away to the fake movie and then that cuts away to the making of the fake movie and then it gets into the movie. Like, I wonder yeah. how many people at the time were like, what the hell is going on here? Based <laughs> based on mainstream horror in the mid 90s and the box office results of this film. No this one who office. wasn't familiar with Tales from the Crypt went and saw this movie. <laughs> yeah. Nobody like who wasn't already familiar saw it. Horror is the one genre that has the easiest road to sell tickets. And by that, I mean, to this day, I mean, in the year of our Lord 2023, you can still release a horror film with literally no recognizable actors. You can release a horror film that has no actors necessarily, like no established actors at all, but the found footage stuff. And people will still go see it because it's a horror movie. So, because when I look at this cast, I'm like, this is a buffet of great character actors. Unbelievable. But it doesn't even matter that they weren't necessarily marquee names because that's that's not even a requirement now for horror. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have a great title, pretty much that's all you need. Yeah, you'll be able to to get people in the. I mean, even if you release your movie, your fucking horror movie in January just so that you can trade on the fact that it's released on Friday the 13th. It's like, isn't it great our movie's released on Friday the 13th? Yeah, but like, the kids just went back to school after Christmas break. What are mm-hmm. we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you th- look at most of the, like, most successful in terms of, like, uh, most successful movies in terms of the return on the budget, and sm- a huge chunk of those movies are horror movies, like especially in the last few, you know, like the insidious first insidious movie and paranormal activity, like those early Blumhouse movies and stuff like that is why Blumhouse is, is like the biggest horror fucking production company at the time now, because like they were smart and they knew that they could like create these huge hits with no money whatsoever. Um, so, yeah. Um, Blumhouse is the kind of house where if it was an actual place you could live, you'd be eating all your meals off of paper towels instead of paper plates. Mm-hmm. Like they really do skimp <laughs> on everything budget wise. Right. You're right. That's how they're able to stay so successful. And honestly, that's 
that's gone back since time immemorial for for horror films especially yeah. like you know we'll we'll squeeze every last penny or we'll pinch every last penny i should say and then you know we'll we'll rake in the box office because again people will go see it if it's a horror movie yeah. but releasing it in january that's that's mm. a bold move cotton <laughs> yeah no you're right there's like of course like roger corman and lloyd kaufman all those that's that's their whole their whole thing all of the direct-to-video stuff of the 80s, all of it, so many. Yeah. Well, let's get back to talking about the movie from the mid-90s <laughs> yes. that we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, so one of the things that, that that I do love about having all the character actors that, that make up the cast of this movie is it gives Demon Knight so much personality. Because, like, it, to be fair, the plot is kind of... Not straightforward, but it, it has been used in a lot of other movies of just people stuck in a house and demons trying to get in or monsters trying to get in. Like the the plot itself isn't like, it's oh, my God, this siege is a movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's not incredibly groundbreaking, but there's there's just something about the, the actors that they have in this movie that give it that personality. And even just like little lines like, um, oh, I, I forget who was saying what, but like at the very beginning when they're telling each other to shut up, like just having Dick Miller saying, shut up, like it just gives it a different tone than if you had had, you know, whoever in any, literally anyone else delivering that line. And so that's one of the things that I think is again, just so great about this movie, especially with this being the first time that I've seen it. And I had no expectations going in other than a lot of people I know really love it. Hope it, uh, hope it stands up for me. And and it did like there's just so much character and personality through these actors, and I can't imagine it with anyone else. Yeah, I mean, you you really do get a lot of great mileage out of the character. I mean, the, you know, you mentioned Jada Pinkett, uh, CCH Pounder, Dick Miller, Thomas Hayden Church uh, you know, before yeah. he before he really hit it big. I mean, right down to the fact that the guy who voices Roger Rabbit is yeah. one of the characters yeah. in this place. And yeah, and you're right about conceptually not really stretching too much. It's like uh, a warrior for God takes on a demon and go. Like, that's it. That's <laughs> literally the entire plot of this movie. And all of the MacGuffins are literally like, oh, but the thing he carries around, that's the blood of Christ. It's like, well, yeah, yeah okay. Like, that still very much tracks with what you've already told me. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's a blood cocktail. And it, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's like frat party blood of Christ. That shit has been watered down so many times. <laughs> like one drop of the blood of Christ and everybody else. There's still a little bit of that in there, yeah. Well, they have to call it Jesus juice now because they've mixed so many <laughs> other alcohols into it. It doesn't have 10% Jesus blood, so yeah, I can't call it juice. Yeah, if you need more of it, it's in a it's in a trash can in the kitchen that we've just been mixing up all night. It's, it's gotten to the point where Jesus is spelled with a G. <laughs> sipping on jesus juice <laughs> they should have released oh, when this movie came out if the marketing had been smart they would have released some sort of like some sort of liqueur called jesus juice and started putting that in the yeah. bars around la like I, I i don't know why i have to think of this stuff way too late but come on yeah, they could have definitely done some like great food tie-in, you know, like food and drink tie-ins. They they could have made flasks that look like that blood container and yes. put just like a tiny bit of liquor in it and still sold that for like 50 bucks. That, that should have been what you got your like Pepsi in at the movie theater. 
was that? As yes. The- that's, yeah, that's, I, I would have gone. I would have gone three times just to get that. That's they that's how you done, pour the butter onto your popcorn. They could have had like a special like demon knight sauce. That's like that fucking guacamole and ketchup concoction yeah. that that Bill Sadler eats at one point in the movie. That's the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. He's just like gulping it down. I don't all know I'm what the hell say, it is. But... All I'm going to say is that the comparison of the blood of Christ to popcorn butter i feel personally attacked uh, like i get what you're saying some people are religious about their popcorn butter and i get it i don't know why we had to bring it up when i'm right here in the room but fine yeah, let's continue it's, it's because the popcorn butter keeps out the demons of salad it doesn't keep the demons out of my stomach i'll tell you that much <laughs> But yeah, Bill Sadler versus Billy Zane. Billy on Billy. Like, I oh, literally would have, that would have gotten my ticket right there just to yeah. see William Sadler go up against Billy Zane. And we've already mentioned it, but let me just reiterate Billy Zane, after this movie wrapped, had to be rushed to the hospital so that his stomach could be pumped of scenery that he had just been <laughs> devouring for 90 straight God. minutes in this yep. film. Like, it is one of the, like, we we talk on the show a lot about like actor playgrounds, and this movie is such a playground for Billy Zane, and he is yeah. up to the task of making it his own. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he there's a like a behind the scenes documentary that I watched on YouTube where he talks about how like his approach to this was basically to be like the Aladdin in, uh, or Jesus fucking Christ to be like the genie in Aladdin, mm-hmm. um, and just go fucking hog wild with all the different impressions and characters and stuff, and it's so. It's so deceptively difficult what he's doing in this movie because it just seems like he's coming in having a good time. But like in a role like this, he has to be funny and menacing and also like seductive all at the same time. And he just pulls it off without a hitch. Like, I mean, my like in a, in a role like this, most of what he is doing is essentially trying to seduce all of the people mm-hmm. in this hotel and uh, by proxy, he has to seduce the audience. And there's so many times w- watching this movie, I'm like, God, I would fucking give in to Billy Zane. Like, no question. If he starts whispering in my ear, like ghost projecting his whispers in my ear, like he does with Cordelia, like the world is gone, guys. I'm sorry. There's just nothing. I Wipe, Wiping your lips through the screen. It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's your Faust moment. Again, this movie is not doing anything terribly original. Like he's he's basically just Fausting all these characters to try and get one of them to break the seal mm. and let the demon monsters i'm sorry the uh the first year dance students that are clearly playing these demons, <laughs> i love them for it god they look uh, so good they look really good the design of these things is great and the the kills in this movie like that's the thing is like it's artfully shot because it's ernest dickerson like and he knows exactly how to you know he's he's a cinematographer himself so he knows what to ex- what he wants from each shot and it's got a great cast giving great performances but then it still satisfies the horror hounds because the kills in this movie are just gory and fantastic oh that that's one of the things I, I, i'm gonna say this about just literally everything one of the things i love so much but one of the things that i do love so much about demon knight is it it is a horror comedy yeah. but the horror is played as straight horror you know, and I, I love horror comedies, and there's so many different varieties of them, but a lot of them tend to lean a little bit more into the comedy with the gore. And this, if you take out Billy Zane's performances, and if you take out the Crypt Keeper, it is just horror. Yes, some of the lines are funny, but none of it is being played as a joke. None of it is being played like over the top. Yeah, some of them are playing it a little bit, but it's not being played as we're all in on the joke. 
everyone is playing this as we are making a horror movie. And I think that that's so smart to have everyone play it as a horror movie and put so much of the comedy into Billy Zane's performance because you're able to then balance that tone, but in a way that doesn't break the reality of the film because you're breaking the literal reality of the film by having those, uh, you know, demon uh, psychotic, not psychotic, but uh, the the demon hallucinogenic uh, sequences where you are able to get a lot of that comedy through through uh, Billy Zane's performance and two other really quick things about Billy Zane one he is charming as fuck and God. like that is why he is able to to charm the the characters and able to charm the audience that smile that he gives he doesn't even need to act he just needs to smile and that gives you half of his performance that's not to undermine his performance at all it's to say that's how fucking charming his smile is second thing why doesn't he do more like narration and voiceovers listening to him when he was whispering into mm-hmm. their ears? It's like, okay, take a movie that you've had. I don't know, maybe like Morgan Freeman doing the narration, replace it to Billy Zane. And that movie instantly gets at least 20% more fuckable. And I'm telling you right now, I'm which is what those- I want from March of the Penguins. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm caring about those penguins a lot more. If Billy Zane's telling me, how long it takes him to hodunk podunk their way across this fucking tundra. I want my I want my penguins twenty percent more fuckable. <laughs> I didn't Danny say- DeVito just called and he said no. <laughs> well he are he already put his out there for that. So. Oh god. That's incredible. Yeah, Billy's Yeah, no. Are there any like Billy Zane ASMR? They like does he do? He should do those like fucking sleep. Uh, like they have all those sleep apps. They should have one where Billy Zane is just like reading me bedtime stories. Like, because mm. Eric, you're not falling asleep. <laughs> no, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I'm like, yes, I'm in 100. percent I love the the <laughs> sequence where he is uh, creating the fantasy sequence for uh, Uncle Willie, played of course by Dick Miller. Uh, and of course, the thing that's going to get Uncle Willie to uh, to open the gate is basically just allowing him to get drunk on a beach. But my favorite part of that is that for some reason, Billy Zane turns immediately into Hunter S. Thompson. He yeah. goes behind the bar and literally dress like Hunter S. Thompson. And this is what three years before Fear and Loathing, and I'm like. Yeah. Why didn't they cast Billy Zane oh, as God. the lead in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? What are we doing here? What are they doing? Yeah. I don't understand why he isn't a, a much bigger movie star. Like, obviously, I mean, apparently, allegedly, he got he gets the role in Titanic because of this movie, um, which I just love the thought of James Cameron sitting down to watch Tales from the Crypt Demon Night and just being like, oh, man, I love this guy. Um, but yeah, like, it's crazy to me that like he's he's in the one of the biggest movies of all time. And then he doesn't really even like immediately after Titanic, he's not really doing any big roles he kind of becomes like a you know a b-movie guy which is fine like it's a living and i'm sure he's great at it but like i, I went back and was looking at his filmography i'm like i don't know like 80 percent of these movies that he's been in over the last 20 years yeah like all the I next memorable is, thing he had for me is zoolander, zoolander yeah. is where in the, the purple perfect hell is my phantom sequel god <laughs> oh it. no kidding oh it's a character who literally passes. Oh, Jesus Christ. When everything we're doing in legacy sequels is all about lineage and who you're related to and who your fucking kids are and the entire universe has the same last name, whatever. Great. 
You're telling me that you can't do a legacy sequel about a superhero who literally hands down the mantle to his children. That's built into the fucking first movie. Yep. I I think we're going to get one in about 15 years because I we'll get, don't we'll cycle through. Yeah, yeah we'll I, I don't think that it's been long enough because the Phantom was a serial from what, like the 40s or 50s? <laughs> when, when, I think it's even earlier than that. Yeah. So yeah. like it it's took. Like, yeah. It took a long time for that one to get from comics into the movies. And so I'm still waiting for my one? Phantom Shadow crossover, so I'm I'm pissed that still hasn't You can't do a Defenders of the Earth movie until you give each one of those characters their own <laughs> movie. Their own origin story. God damn it. I want a Phantom Rocketeer crossover. That's what I want. Yes. Yeah, be Rock that. evil. Right. <laughs> Dude. Perfect. Yeah. Really, just throw all those 30s uh, serial superhero guys in there. You know, you could throw in like a fucking spirit. Maybe recast the shadow before you start handing out his signature guns. That's all I'm going to (laughs) do. Oh, God. That's all I'm I'm just from a legal liability (laughs) standpoint. Maybe we recast the shadow. Oh, boy. Maybe we go with the spirit instead. Uh, (laughs) Throw Throw in Dick Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, maybe recast that Beatty one. still owns that. No, well, you can't do Dick Tracy because Warren Beatty still does those fucking like TCM specials at three o'clock in the morning every eight years or whatever, so he can hang on to the fucking rights for in perpetuity. Guy really puts the dick in Dick Tracy by just refusing <laughs> to let anyone else have it. It's like, dude, you're 105. Let it go. <laughs> it is. Oh god. It is so ballsy of him. Speaking you can't of dicks. make a movie called Old Man Dick. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Be like the Logan of, uh, yeah, of, yep. for Dick Tracy. I'm the best at what I do, but what I do I can't remember because I'm very, very old. But I'm still thankful I have a yellow raincoat. <laughs> it's about, yeah, it's about Dick Tracy battling dementia. He, no, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's he just is walking face now. <laughs> he would just be oh, walking that's around. Actually brilliant because all of his villains are so outlandish. They would yeah. have like figments of his twist, like his yeah, exactly. And it's like none of those characters actually ever existed. That's just how his adult brain remembers like his friends from high school. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a villain that's just called like Dan Mincha or something. Yeah, I don't like. <laughs> what, what would happen is uh, he would start going the Batman Alzheimer. route. You would start going the Batman route and just naming everything like Batman does with the Batcave and the Batarang and the Batmobile. Just, hey, do you want to get my dickmobile and go to the dick cave? Starts dating a girl named C. Alice. Yeah. <laughs> dick Tracy oh, in the exact hundred yards from a school. <laughs> dick Tracy and the call your physician if it lasts longer than four hours. <laughs> Uh, I guess if the runtime of that movie was longer than four hours, we would have to contact a physician. (laughs) (laughs) We'd have to Uh, contact a psychiatrist. So speaking of Dick, let's get back to Dick Miller and (laughs) and uh, Demon Knight. (laughs) I I mean, it's just right there in front of my face. How could I not use that to? Yeah, that dick was really right there in front of your face. <laughs> dick Miller, of course, the patron saint of junk food cinema. Of course, we were, yes. We were very sad when he passed, and we uh, have left his immortal voice in our intro ever since. And your uh, intro makes me so happy every time. Yeah. Yep. That guy. It was one of the great. It was one of the weirdest and greatest interviews 
ever. And I and I'm saying that as someone who just interviewed Phil Tippett and could not get a handle on that guy at all. Like wonderful, awesome person, incredible artist, genius. Could not nail down where he was during that entire interview, and that was totally fine. Um, but yeah, Dick Miller is a, is a saint. Well, and uh, I, I, obviously, you know, there's already been so much great stuff said about Dick Miller. But one of the things that's so great about him is he was so committed to every role that he did. You know, yep. like he never phoned it in. He never half-assed anything. Like if he's playing a character, he not only is putting his all into it, he is making that his role. I mean, you know, mm. even bringing it back to Demon Knight, even with Uncle Willie, you could have gotten any old character actor to play that role and, and it would have been fine. But to have Dick Miller... You know, and and the way that he's always going for the bottle, and the way that he's reacting to all of his hallucinations when uh, when Billy he Sam was is... committed to his love of booze and boobies. He really was. <laughs> there's a there's he's a great like, no. Bit. I want fifteen naked women on set with me, not five. Fifteen. <laughs> there, there's a great bit in that documentary where he talks about the day that they shot that, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, it, it ended up taking us like an entire day to shoot that scene because I just kept forgetting my lines. I don't know what it was. Something came over me that day. I just couldn't." remember shit that day. <laughs> they put uncle willie into a spuds mckenzie commercial where he is the dog oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i love that about this movie well oh man the uh that bringing it to the 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 horror and comedy that's one of the other things that's so smart about it uh, like i said having billy zane as the driving comedic force having these scenes allow the other actors to also bring some comedy into it again without it breaking character like oh god when cch pounder flips off billy zane with her i was stub, just thinking about that yeah she puts <laughs> her arm up and he's like is that a yes she's like no that's me giving you the finger asshole <laughs> that's the thing is like it's, it's so over good. the top but the over the like the sort of out there over the top stuff tracks because they've done enough to establish the characters and by they yeah. I mean both the writers and the performers have done enough to make us realize who these people are so that when the over the top things happen it still works within the confines yeah. of who we know these characters to be yeah it's really a, a, a true like it's it's a remarkably effective efficient script like the they have the perfect shorthand for all of these characters they establish them very quickly i mean in the course of like 10 minutes tops whenever uh bill sadler first gets to the uh the hotel slash church like you immediately understand who all of these characters are mm -hmm. what their role is what they're all about and like it's great and and there are still all these other great little reviews i love the reveal later on that wally was like planning to go postal it totally <laughs> reshapes like you you see him as like this sweet guy who just has a thing for cordelia or whatever and then it's like oh no he was gonna shoot up the fucking post office <laughs> Which was a very relevant joke in 1995. Yeah, yes. and it's and it's also great great screenwriting too because it's like oh that's how they get a grenade and that, like that's how they get these weapons and yeah. stuff well, like it's just it's just it all yeah. goes, like they, they fits together so well the missing mail like three times before you yeah, finally yeah. see it. But here's here's what makes that scene even more just like oh god there's so much depth even to just these subtle things um when they find those uzis and they're like well you know if he was going to do this he obviously wasn't going to be very effective he doesn't have any bullets with him being so like meek and and mild and not having any bullets it's almost like he didn't actually want to hurt anyone but he did have that grenade vest and so mm. like you knew he was committed to 
the, when I do this, this is going to be it for me, but I don't actually want to hurt anyone in the process. Um, and, and, and I'll, again, they don't say that that is not something that is explicitly given, but the way that he's interacting with Cordelia throughout the movie, the way that he is kind of standing up to Roach kind of, um, you get a lot of that meekness out of him so that the, the guns without bullets tracks with who that character is. The fact that I Thomas, think, I think the balance that they strike in this movie is incredible because if I'm telling you about a movie where. You know, Thomas Hayden Church has a battery hooked up to his nipples. If I'm telling you about a movie <laughs> where a guy has a, like a, a sponge come out of his mouth and a yeah. Bugs Bunny type bit, <laughs> but it's also the movie where someone's heart gets ripped out and a child is possessed and then murdered, you're thinking <laughs> of talking about two completely different movies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When, uh, when what, what was the kid's name? Uh, oh, right. Danny. Danny. Of course. Because yeah. he says, what's the boy's name? Danny and instantly I started thinking oh Danny boy the minds the minds are calling um the when 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 Danny turns into that demon and like his jaw is like ripped open and hanging about two feet lower it reminded me of the effects from Fright Night and just there are so many great uh practical effects and and makeup um in in this movie these demons look great I assume that they only had maybe like 10 of them which is why you don't get a bunch of them uh you know like swarming the house but man every time you get a close-up it's like these these look really good and so convincing and i'm so so glad this was before the time of everything being cg because if this movie was remade now it, it would not look nearly as good oh yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean like the 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 splatter effects are all incredible like i love the way that they uh they have like the eyes glowing and even just into like the the idea of the way that uh billy zane summons the demons where he like cuts into himself and has like that glowing blood and like just throws it around and uh they just come up out of the ground in these weird like fetal looking versions of them they get bigger and creepier as they go on i don't know like it just all of it is so incredible um and so memorable and despite the fact that this is a movie that takes place all at night, there's a lot of like great color. The, the, the way that Ernest Dickerson uses color, uh, whether it's in the movies he's directed or the movies that he, sh- uh, has shot, like he's so good at strategically using it in a way that makes it so effective. Like I love, I love that. Like whenever they do the seal with the blood, you know, you get like the kind of like fun animated, uh, seal that pops up. But then a lot of times it just kind of, they just flash a red light from off camera and you know exactly what's happening and you get the little sound effect. Like, it's just great, economical, gorgeous filmmaking that's very tactile. And and it's why these 90s horror movies, I think, hold up so well is because everything is so tactile and so thought through and they had to, like, fucking build all this shit in a warehouse, you know? So uh, it's just incredible. Yeah. Speaking of tactile and blood... I love that at the end, uh, towards the end, when um, um, what was Jada Pinkett's character's name? Um, Geraldine. Yeah, Geraldine. When she pours the blood all over herself, it's like, oh, that's really smart. And also, that's really stupid. How does she know that, like, getting blood from a dead Billy uh, uh, Sadler? How does how does she know that that's still going to work? Like, d- does it have to come from a living person? Anywho. Very, very smart of her to pour it all over herself. So, like, she's protected. But I, well, love- I do love too that immediately he 
Yes. He, that, he, yeah, he's, that's the thing that I love even more is that it's not like, oh no, this demon has been outsmarted. It's just kind of like, ah. And then he, like, he, he already knows how to fight it. Like, it gives a. That's not the kind of thing that you would get in a lot of uh, modern movies where when the torch has been passed, it's kind of like, oh, well, now they know how to do this thing that the uh, the other hunter or slayer or whatever has been avoiding for the last 100 years and they still don't know how to do, oh, just pour the blood all over yourself and then you can go wrestle them and punch them and, and kill all of them right away. I love that, um, that Billy Zane is just kind of like, no. I'll just go hide in the bathroom and throw you in the shower <laughs> and grab you with a shower curtain. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's just so smart. I, I love how smart this movie is. It, <laughs> it makes the horror, it, it makes the horror more horrific to know that they are putting, um, to, to know that they're planting a lot of those seeds to have the payoff later. And it makes the comedy work even better knowing that they're infusing it rather than just being throwaway jokes. So yeah, it being a smart horror comedy to me is part of why it works so well. And just super quick with the shorthand, uh, Brian, that you were bringing up earlier, the shorthand of making Billy Zane a cowboy and just, okay, yep. The cops trust him because he's a cowboy and like as audience, you see smiling Billy Zane Cowboy and it's like, oh, yeah, he's probably good. There's nothing suspicious uh, about him. To totally good. And I love how quickly that gets thrown off and, and you get, for my money, one of the funniest scenes with the ho-dunk, po-dunk, well, then there, motherfuckers. Yeah. I've watched that scene, just that scene Incredible. on repeat about 30 times. <laughs> it's so Well, and so also the good. heel turn that he makes where he just punches his hand completely through the sheriff's head. Yeah. It's such an incredible special. And then can't like, get it off. Of and then hand. he's, yeah, it's stuck on his arm. I feel like uh, Punisher Warzone definitely took a little <laughs> bit from this movie. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I'm so, I just have to stop for a second. I just read the synopsis for what dead easy was going to be. Yeah. And I'm pissed that we never got it. I am fucking Dead Easy, a.k.a. Fat Tuesday, a zombie story set in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why didn't we? Why? Mm. Okay, fine. Be because yeah. we well, needed think, a Bordello of well, Blood. Well, the issue, I think, was that Bordello of Blood was more of a Robert Zemeckis. Uh, I feel like it was maybe like an idea he had when he was, you know, a fucking teenager, a horny teenager or something. And he was like, no, 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 we're going to do this instead because I'm Robert Zemeckis. And I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, Bordello of Blood feels like it was pitched by Uncle Willie. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Bordello of Blood is the sequel to his fever dream. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. It's, it's the sequel to Old Man Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Brian, I have to ask this. Um, with having just listened to the Super Mario Brothers episode, did you know that there was a post credit with the Crypt Keeper talking about Dead Easy? Are you fuck? <sighs> No, no, I did not. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I wish this would stop happening to me because people are going to assume I'm doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking what now? No, it, I figured it was just text on the screen like Crypt Keeper will return in on Her Majesty's Secret Service or something. No, it's like a he very Looney Tunes-esque thing where the, the like there's like an iris effect that opens up and the Crypt Keeper's like, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, he's like, if you didn't get enough of this, then come back next year or whatever when we release Dead Easy. 
I, I swear to God, and I said this in the Super Mario episode, any movie I haven't seen from now on, <laughs> I'm going to jump to the end credits. Just start just off, yeah, make start with sure the end credits. That there's nothing I'm going to miss because I am so bad at this game. It is unbelievable. You have to start watching movies the way my wife my wife reads books, where oh, she God. reads the last page and then she's like, "Ah, fuck that! I'm not going to read that. That sounds stupid." My, that <laughs> my reminds wife... me of a joke that I tried to tell my wife once, which is, uh, "We got our son's yearbook, and I, it was his elementary school yearbook." And I said, "Yeah, I read the yearbook. It turns out the fifth graders did it." <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "What does that mean? Did what?" And I was like, "All right, never mind. I guess I guess we'll just let that one go." Number one, that's an amazing joke, and I'm totally stealing it. Number two, my wife does the exact same thing. She'll read the end, like she'll read the last couple of pages. Or she watched, I think, uh, maybe like half of the first episode of Breaking Bad and then the last episode. What? No. Why? Yeah. And she's like, well, I need to know what happens to know whether or not I'm going to care. It's like, no. Yeah, that's what Allie does. You have to care. You like you grow and care to get to the end to care what you can't. It, there's a it hurts my brain sometimes. There's a great podcast out there. It didn't last very long, but it's called Too Long Didn't Watch, and they bring in like celebrity guests to take on a TV show they've never seen, and they have them watch the first episode and the last episode, oh, and then like podcast about it and talk about like what do you think happened in between? <laughs> and it's <laughs> such a great idea for a podcast. I wish they would come out with more episodes because it's so fun. Man. I feel like left to her own devices. That's how my wife would watch movies because what will happen is we'll pop the movie in and she'll go. So what's the story? And when she says, what's the story? She wants me to tell her the entire plot of the film. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know what the movie's going to do is tell you that <laughs> if you just watch it. So yeah, I'm, yep. I'm very, also, I just, I want to, you know, be completely transparent here. I will say the fifth graders did it joke. I definitely had that Stephen Wright joke in my head of, yeah, I just read the dictionary. Turns out the zebra did it, <laughs> <laughs> which is, yeah, I love Stephen Wright so much. Mm-hmm. Oh God, he's so good. Uh, so so Dan, Eric, for for context and why I referenced the yep. Super Mario Brothers episode at the end of Super Mario Brothers, uh, after the credits, Iggy and Spike pop back up and they're talking to Japanese oh, yeah, businessmen. Yeah, they want to do a video game called the Super Cooper Brothers or whatever. Yeah, and uh, and, and and Brian talked about that on on the most recent recent episode of Junk Food Cinema because I didn't know it existed. <laughs> like I am I am like biblically terrible at staying and seeing post credit stuff but it's funny because that post credit sequence completely recontextualizes the meta aspect of the movie which is that the video game that we know and love is based on something that actually happened with yeah. the world of this movie so it's it's a really smart joke that uh yeah i did not know existed yeah i i love that and honestly i fast forwarded through the credits to see i wonder if there's any post credits specifically because of that so i probably would have also stopped it and not seen the post credits um and had it not been for you talking about it so uh there's a few other little things that i want to talk about but one of the other main things that i feel like we need to discuss at least for a little bit we've kind of brought it up um as as far as talking about the plot of this movie is very generic with it just being okay warrior for god is fighting against demons there was something in the water or something in the holy water in 1995 because there were so many like warriors for God fighting against demons. And maybe there's not necessarily that many overall. If you look at like how many movies came out throughout the entirety of uh, 1995, 
But looking at the 30 that uh, that we put into our popcorn punch out or in, into the um, into the survey for it, a hefty chunk of those were uh, like demons versus warriors or, you know, uh, angels versus demons. Uh, let's see. Of the ones that I watched, uh, because for once I watched almost all the ones that we put um, put in the survey. Tales from the Crypt, um, Vampire in Brooklyn, kind of, sort of. Yeah, prophecy in there, right? Uh, yeah, the, prophecy, the prophecy. The Day of the Beast, Lord of Illusions, The Prophecy Seven. Seven's a little bit of a stretch because it wasn't actually a demon, but still, it had that you know um, very religious tone to it. Um, well, the devil was certainly in it. Not <laughs> 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 true. <laughs> Uh, I feel like there were a couple others that I'm trying to scroll back through, but I'm not seeing all of them. But but yeah, like there were just a lot of those like demon storylines back then. And I, I, I want to know why, you know, like the it's a classic tale of good versus evil. Like that's, it's classic uh, good versus evil, but also Bible characters are public domain. Yeah. And, and well, honestly, again, I was. I was 18 and 19 so at that time, so right at the height of, uh, of Gen X's own feelings of incredible self-importance, yet not having done actually anything to earn that self-importance that we all felt. <laughs> I think it's because because of that, they knew like our generation was so fucking angsty, but just wanted to change the world tomorrow. <laughs> so... <laughs> It was, you know, what we were, we were ready to buy into that whole, you know, pre-millennial tension shit. The world's going to come to an end. It's going to be up to us to save it. We're probably the wrong group of people to do it, but fuck yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I love that explanation because again, like good versus evil, classic story. There's lots of supernatural stuff, you know, like there's seemingly, um, you know, a lot of possession movies over the last couple of years. It seems like that's kind of getting in vogue again, but like very specifically, you know, like the Constantine esque or like the dogma style movies of these people going out to try to stop a demon from destroying the world. It just seemed like there were a lot of them in that mid nineties run. And is this just kind of like a the tail end of the satanic panic kind of shit? Maybe like I don't maybe? know. Like, yeah. I don't. I don't know. But it's it's fascinating to look at all of the different styles of them. And I'm glad that I ended my run with what I watched with Demon Knight <laughs> because again, it it still had all of those themes. Which maybe, you know, if we look at some of the, uh, you know, like what our expectations were and how our experiences shaped uh, our interaction with the movie, that might have made this movie a little bit more serious or important for me since I had been watching so many of those recently. And it was kind of like, ooh, yes, this is also tapping into these themes rather than I assume most people watching it with just being like, oh, hey, look, there's a dude fighting a demon. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wanted to get uh, y'all's take on that as far as, you know, like when you watch this, do you look at some of those deeper, you know, good versus evil or is it just kind of like, oh, hey, that's that, that's a fun demon kill right there. I think the structure of this movie, one cool thing about it is that it sets up the idea that William Sadler is one in a line of people who have been tasked with protecting, you know, this this pendant or you know this this uh, blood of Christ and that 
kind of speaks to the timelessness of stories like this. And also, I've been, you know, we're talking about this being in the mid-90s, but I've kind of been on a kick lately of very recent movies dealing with this and also movies from the early aughts. Like, I'm just now diving into uh, Exorcist the Beginning and then Dominion the Exorcist prequel and the story behind that of, like, like I play a lot of fantasy football, and sometimes you make a bad decision with your lineup, and then you double down on it, and you fuck it up even more. And that is exactly what Morgan Creek did with those movies. Where it's sometimes like, you draft Rennie Harlan. Some, sometimes you draft Paul Schrader, yeah, and he doesn't perform well week one, so you bench him for Ryan Leaf. I'm sorry, Rennie Harlan. And Rennie Harlan comes in and makes something worse, so you go back and put fucking Paul Schrader back in the lineup, have him finish the movie, and then that one also doesn't make money. Yeah, that's... That, a... that Ryan Leaf was pretty deep cut. I love that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's, it's a very interesting thing, because, like, the other thing I've been watching recently is I, I went through... I burned through the the first three Hell House LLC movies, mm-hmm. which also deal with... Oh, I need to see those. ...with the devil and Faust and all this. Like, it's just, like I said, A, public domain. B, <laughs> it's going to hit all of your quad- all of your quadrants because there is not a single person. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a hardcore atheist, it doesn't matter. You know who the hell Jesus is and yeah. you know who the devil is. <laughs> so, like, a lot of your establishing of canon has been done for you which right. i think is another True. huge appeal for writers uh but yeah i think and then on top of that just the timelessness of it yeah yeah i do appreciate too that, like this movie also like even though you know the shorthand or whatever this movie still goes far enough to be like you know i know that this is a movie where uh thomas hayden church talks about how he wants edible panty in his salad but we're also going to depict the actual crucifixion of Christ in like an incredibly gorgeous like that tab- should like- not work. Putting both those things in one movie should not work. And yet no. somehow they pull it off. By the way, I'm very disappointed in myself that edible panty salad was not the junk food parry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think the word salad scared me off. You know, that's, that's probably values. what it was. Yeah. Well, was you, the, uh, you can was write junk that food wrong tonight, fucking Brian. guacamole ketchup. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Like that's the other thing too. It's like, yes, the battle of good and evil and the crucifixion of Christ and the you know the protection of good and all this stuff. But then also just watching demons get shot in the head and fly across <laughs> the room like they're spring loaded. Yeah, I love the amount well, of stunts. Like that's another great thing about '90s horror is the fucking stunt work. Even in horror movies, was just mwah. they're just launching people through through rooms and into walls as much as humanly possible. This it's movie fantastic. effectively yeah. starts off with a car chase. You know what I mean? Like it does. Yeah. It's a horror comedy that also has a lot of action in it. Like it is. And just, also, Hey man, nice shot. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is just really uh, making a meal genre speaking out of this. It's just like, we're going to, we're going to do it all. So what, what I want to know really is, is but, how many times can that church hotel explode? Because by my count three, it's it, yeah. It's like the Tootsie Roll pop. I also love to like the church hotel. Also has like a fucking mine shaft that connects to it. They have like catacombs that they go through, which is great. Like this movie, there's no idea that is off the table. It's like no, oh, we're it, going to get all of the horror genres and all of the different like weird things that you could do in a horror movie in this. Yeah, I strangely feel like this church and the titty twister are somehow connected. Absolutely. Yeah, like they use the same tunnels. 100%. I don't know how they didn't run into a graboid down there. And I also don't know how that tunnel doesn't lead to Salem's lot. Like it's just, 
Like, <laughs> it really does feel like a Thanksgiving it exists in this dinner. kind of void space. Right. It's a Thanksgiving dinner of all of these great genre elements that, again, should not, on paper, should not work. Should not work at all together. It, and yet somehow they do. It actually, it reminds me a lot of the Dark Tower series, the, the Stephen King series. And it literally even, like, that series, obviously, like, the famous first line is the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed, which is literally how this story starts. <laughs> it's a man in yep. black fleeing across the desert, uh, being followed by a cowboy. Um, I, I, it, it does. I, I totally agree, though, to get back to Nathan's point, though. There is something that's very, like, timeless and mythic about this story because of the way that it is situated situating it in these like um very black and white good versus evil you know uh i mean the the movie bill sadler gives this incredible monologue where he talks about how like he literally talks of says like in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth like he starts with the Bible. he skips ahead a few millennia i love that <laughs> yeah, yeah, say one more time public Domain. Public domain. <laughs> yeah. But his his explanation like, of like you you really want to know what's going on? Well, in the beginning, and he gives that, and then literally skip ahead a few millennia, and that's where we are now. It's like okay, you've not really yeah. explained anything. But also, he's like, you know what was in the blackness? Demons. <laughs> like, and again, it's it's terms that everybody can totally like get on board with immediately. Uh, and <laughs> God created the heavens, the earth, and Dracula. What? Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, did you just insert another public domain character into your public domain story? Okay. Cool. Well, if you've seen Wes Craven's Dracula 2000, then yes, yes, I was he did. Just gonna fucking talk about that because <laughs> as much as that movie sucks shit through a straw, the whole element of Dracula being Judas Iscariot is kind of a cool idea. Like, I kind of don't hate that, especially with not... how much the Bible oh, wow. is obsessed with blood in a way that feels like it was written by vampires. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I love. I, I need to go back and rewatch it. Horror films. Like, sorry, go ahead. I, I just, I need to go back and rewatch Dracula 2000 because oh, I remember it not being good, <laughs> but there being enough interesting things about it to where it's like, has, has this movie aged better? Will, will I enjoy it more now? Or is it still going to be just as like, oh, what were they thinking? Did you oh, refer to this as Wes Craven's? Did, he didn't direct. Oh, did he just produce it or something? He produced it, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Okay, interesting. Yeah. No, this is Gerard Butler as Dracula, right? Yeah. It, it is. It, it, you know, it's the one thing missing from Bram Stoker's immortal novel is where Dracula <laughs> stops and watches almost the entirety of a monster magnet music video <laughs> during the Man. movie. Gerard Butler played Dracula and the Phantom of the Opera, like... Guy was running the table on Universal Monsters. That's true. Holy That's crap. He could have been the dark universe in and of himself. <laughs> he is the dark universe. You know who He's would the make... the black hole that sucked up the dark universe. You know who would make... A... A law-abiding citizen is practically a Jekyll and Hyde film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know who would make an amazing Invisible Man? Troy Butler? Billy Zane. Oh, yeah, Billy Zane, could, Billy Zane could also just do all of the Universal Monsters... Mm. Yeah, like, but I'm I'm very specifically thinking of like him channeling Claude Rains and that maniacal laughter and the the ability to carry through the character just yeah, in his is, voice. That's a good call. He could totally be it. He is, he is like very much a mod that voice, especially he he's got the Claude Rains thing going. Yeah, Gerard Butler as Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> I've made a monster in my garage. Now I'm gonna blow shit up. <laughs> also starring Gerard Butler as Frankenstein's monster. 
Oh no, uh, I've been brought to life by a bolt of lightning during a geostorm. <laughs> <laughs> and introducing Gerard Butler as Igor. <laughs> I, this brain says it's from Abbey Normal. <laughs> Thinks she's from um, Glasgow. God. What the fuck were we talking about again? <laughs> we were this talking. isn't the biggest hump I've ever had, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's yes, the ugly all, truth. All the monsters, all the universal monsters played by Gerard Butler is kind of where I'm living right now. <laughs> that's, that's, I'd watch it. Oh Gerard God. Butler is honestly kind of like the king of the of B-movie stuff right now. He's like, it's like him and Scott Atkins are really, really running the table on, uh, I just said running the table more than once, Scott. I that's to, fine. I need to diversify my, my vocab here. But yeah, like... He, I haven't really watched any of his other stuff, but everything that he's coming out with lately, like Plane and all that, like I'm like, this is this all just looks great. Cop, My new movie's cop, called cop. Plane. Do you know what it's about? A plane. <laughs> <laughs> like, like really? Just okay, sure. I I was talking to my wife about this the other day because she was asking me like, what's Greenland? And I was like, well, it's a movie where Gerard Butler. It, it's I, I was trying to explain it to her like it's more deep impact than it is Armageddon, which is mm-hmm. kind of the point. Because if I'm signing up for watching a Gerard Butler movie, I want it to be Armageddon, not Deep Impact. Right. I want an actor actor of the caliber of stupid that Gerard Butler is, like not like him personally, but like the characters he plays, the movies he's in. Like there is a certain expectation of stupidity that I want from a Gerard Butler movie. If you put Gerard Butler in big, stupid, dumb shit like Geostorm, I'm there for it 100%. Yeah. If you tried to put him into a weepy, introspective human drama... I, I check out because that's not you're 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 not you. It's kind of like when they make Nicolas Cage play normal family guys in movies, and it's like, sure, yeah. no, you're you're putting the brakes on a fucking Porsche here. Like, yeah. <laughs> let him put the crazy pedal to the floor. Yeah, G- Gerard yeah. Butler needs the scene where like someone needs to think and come up with a plan, and it, he has like the kind of line of like, my plan is right here, and he cocks his gun and walks off screen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are the kids, <laughs> the Leroy Jenkins of action cinema. 1000%. <laughs> yeah, basically any kind of like diehard uh, knockoff you can think of, uh, like that is just Gerard Butler's Gerard Butler's lane for sure. So to answer your question, Eric, what we were talking about is Demon Knight. And yes, yes, of course. Starring things, Gerard Butler. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was going to just I was just going to say that, like, as a guy who grew up in the Bible Bell, I'm always really excited when I see horror movies use overt religious imagery like i feel like that's a thing that we don't get a whole lot of anymore um like they i don't know if it's just because you know you've got these fucking all these faith-based movies running the table they they have have a monopoly on on jesus in movies now well it's it's because any not any it is because there's a lot of the faith-based imagery either being like uh, a shorthand for this person is an extremist, like um, uh, yeah, what's her name really in the mist, or it's going very supernatural and very much like mm. you know this is a demon, and even then you typically get you know like the more of the uh, Catholicism side because you know it's much older in terms of its history. Yeah, but I do I mean, miss they the just released the earnest. Nun Two this year, so I mean like this stuff I mean, still. That's a good point. Is still it's, a big draw. Yeah, I, I think it is, but I, th- I, d- I guess what I'm looking for more is like I feel like it is always 
the religious angle is always a very like villainous. I feel like it's often a shorthand for like a, a crazy person or a villain or whatever. Whereas like in something like demon Knight, it's like, there's an earnestness to this. It's like, he is literally a warrior for Christ uh, that I just find like kind of, kind of endearing. You know, this is back in a time when people were a little less skeptical of religion, which they uh, maybe, should not have i mean they they should have been more skeptical i like i don't want to i don't know if i would necessarily say that he is a warrior for christ so much as a defender against demons that like because i don't even know if you i don't know if any of the demon knights because like that's the thing they're not christ warriors they are demon knights they we are, haven't even mentioned the fact that it's actually demon knight <laughs> title. Like I don't even think we've made it clear yeah. that it's demon K I N I can't spell K N I G H T uh, in the title. Right, like like a like a medieval knight. Um, I'm also still a little confused about it because isn't it Billy Zane that refers to himself as a demon knight? Like no, I don't he, know what the he demon says, knight. He says to Jada Pinkett, "It's so rare." Uh, to bring a demon knight to the other side, at least all in one piece, or something along those lines. Oh, so he's referring to her as the demon knight. Right. Okay. My I gotcha. favorite part of this episode so far was Nathan doing Bill Sadler's uh, interview, evidently, where he's just like, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a warrior for Christ so much as a <laughs> demons. Like, I think if you really take a look at my resume, what you'll see there is that uh, I, I'm not I'm not super religious as much as I am a, a defender of the good and a man of action. <laughs> sure. and I think I would fit in well at this Quiznos as an, as an assistant <laughs> manager. <laughs> But like this is a movie though that like you have to defend against that burnt toast. I'm this, just this this movie is canonic. Like it, the Bible is canon essentially. It's like no, Jesus was a real person. He was actually divine. You know, I feel like there's no. It it just. It, you also had like a lot of like I don't know why the, the only other thing that's coming to mind right now is like. They had like end of days, which is a similar kind of concept. Where it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> oh, no, is a warrior. Days. For Christ. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you don't starring get a whole Gerard lot Butler of, uh, as Arnold Schwarzenegger. We don't get a whole lot of like faith based like protagonists in movies who are uh, you know well, defending here, the biblical canon. Here is why it's that's... it's a it's interesting simpler time that I like uh, enjoy harkening back to. Here's why it works. At least here's why it works for me. It's not um, William Sadler Sadler's portrayal of. You know, like the the historical nature of Christ. the The thing that sells the plot for me is Billy Zane tempting people, yeah, and not starting with the dude that is already closest to evil. He does not have to tempt Roach, like he he doesn't have to tempt uh, Thomas Hayden Church because he already knows, like, oh yeah, like that one's already in the bag. I mean, he's he, obviously he's gonna do, turn yeah. He, has a he enjoys the challenge of like trying to get through to all the other people. Well, he's he is, and that's why he's so fascinated by Jerry. Jer- I don't know. He says Geraldine, and then other people say Geraldine. I don't know Geraldine. Mm. I'm gonna say it the way he says it. But yeah, like he he when he gets to her, and she's the one who like legitimately resists the temptation. Like he becomes enamored of her. You know, like he literally. I, I, God, the bit at the end where he's like dancing with her, and he's trying to tell her he loves her, and he can't say it <laughs> is so fucking good. Like, yeah, I love that aspect of his character. And I love that. I love to like, I think the most uh, the most interesting kind of Christian. I don't know, a bit of Christian lore or whatever in this is the fact that like 
uh, Jada Pinkett gets this incredible, like, redemptive arc where at the beginning of the movie, she kind of seems like the least likely person to take up this mantle because she doesn't even want to, like, do her job cleaning the hotel. She gets very irritated. Anybody, anytime anybody asks her to do her job and, like, you learn that she's, like, on parole or whatever. She's, like, just out of jail. And But but you also have that amazing uh, setup and payoff of she starts out the movie cleaning up everyone else's shit. Yeah. And she ends the movie cleaning up supernatural shit. Yep. yep. Yeah. And she accepts it without like hesitation, it seems like. And it's it's the kind of thing where it's like, that seems like the most Christ-like thing is that like she would be the one that can take up the mantle, even though she seems like the least likely because she, she I mean, I maybe not the least likely, but I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if if I'm making much sense here with the way that I'm trying to describe this. She she is a more unassuming character. She's not like Roach with, you know, all of his bravado. She's not like the cops that already have the, the jobs uh, there to protect. She uh, it's, it's not like, yeah, no, I, 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 and and Bill Sadler immediately picks her out. I feel like when he gets there, he is kind of like looking at her immediately. Like, Oh, if I have to pass this on to someone, it is going to be her. Despite the fact that like on the surface, you wouldn't, Think that well, she would be the one, and also, so of course, like, just the it's like. Oh, go ahead. I was well, say, no, it's I like just, politicians. It's just the what the best people for the jobs are the ones who don't want it. Right. Exactly. The well, ones that really want it are the ones you steer way the fuck clear of. Here's what I want to know: If this movie had a sequel, and Dick Miller had been the chosen one, <laughs> what would that movie have been like? <laughs> If it hadn't been Jada Pinkett and it had been either Dick Miller or CCH Pounder, because like, seriously, how badass would, would that I would have been? I would have been there for the adventures of Dick and Pounder. hundred <laughs> <laughs> yeah. percent. Tales from the Crypt presents Dick Pounder. Hell yes. How amazing would it have been for one-armed CCH Pounder walking around with a shotgun? I, oh, she's I, so It would have been movie. Evil Dead 2, but with CCH Pounder. I'm in, I'm in so hard. And, and I will say this so just much. to kind of bring full circle your discussion about this particular genre or this particular sort of subtext of movies that have this religious bent it baffles me if you watch enough of these movies that a large portion of their audience are very religious folks because if you are a devout christian and you watch movies like this god is kind of a dick in these movies in that like you have all these people fighting on his behalf and right. the devil who is very much present in our plane of existence and causing actual havoc and meanwhile god's just like nancy reagan during the the aids epidemic like eh, <laughs> i'll get to it maybe like, yeah fucking like dude like the devil is real and here and hurting people and you have all these priests doing your dirty work and you're not gonna like show up and maybe lend a hand like what the are you the cavalry in every western like get the fuck in here what is happening <laughs> just he's got other important things that he's attending to at the moment you know he, he just can't be bothered right now he's I don't know. It just it makes me think like the image I have in my mind is like God is like doing the dishes and like the little kids are like pulling on his robe or something. And they're like, they're like, Father, we need help. And he's like, I'm busy right now. Like, Fucking deal with it yourselves. Now I really want to see like the tales from the crypt presents. God's not God's not dead and see what their version is like. God's not there. (laughs) Starring Gerard Butler as God. Oh, I've got other things to do. I'll get you a tra- Oh, did the devil take a little girl? Let me just drop what I'm doing and go and get involved in that big catastrophe. 
There's been another fucking earthquake in Japan, but yeah, let me go defend Reagan. <laughs> Fuck you. I love how your Gerard Butler has like, slowly transitioned into Mike Myers' dad in uh, Sorry, Married an Axe Murderer. Oh, God. He's like, he's like, kids, if I keep coming in here and clean up your messes, you'll never learn to take care of yourselves. <laughs> Gotta pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Oh, God. Oh, man. Love you, God. <laughs> Was hands off with my last kid, and look what fucking happened to him! <laughs> oh, drinking man. his blood and eating his body! <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what are you fucking. You fucking Clive Barker writing this fucking Bible! <laughs> I, don't, I never realized what a fun name Clive Barker is to say with a Scottish accent. <laughs> Oh, man. What were we talking oh, about? Oh, God. Brian, if you have not yet covered Soy Mirrored and Axe Murderer on junk food, please, please, please do and do the entire episode in that accent. We actually did it just a few weeks ago, and I'm pretty oh, sure God. I, I did a fair amount of Scottish accent play. <laughs> you did just a few. I, I must have missed that one. Yeah. Oh, man. We we secretly did a summer of 93. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that now. Like, we just kept doing movies from 93 and not mentioning that we were doing a bunch of movies <laughs> from 93. Uh, and uh, it was just like this fun bit that I liked doing of just like pretending there was no connection whatsoever to these movies. And it was like, oh, yeah, we just did Summer of 93 without saying anything. <laughs> That's We would never oh do God. that because uh, our, our bit on this show is we just explain everything that we do in excruciating detail. Uh, so. <laughs> Your production meetings are just episodes. Uh, you have yes. no idea how true that is, Brian. <laughs> like, That's how the punch out came to be. <laughs> there's so many times where, where Nathan's like, we're, we're, we're talking about things behind this. Yeah, I was going to say the punch out especially, but it's like, yeah, you know, instead of just like figuring things out ahead of time, let's turn it into content. <laughs> Our favorite word. <clears throat> I do not like saying content. No, no, I'm totally kidding. But yeah. Especially like, after Brian Lenano's Lo-Fi Man, like I, I can't say content without hearing that short. Just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. But, uh, but yeah, no, the the way that we pick our movies within themes and the way that we pick our themes used to be discussions just in in text, and yeah. we were like, you know what, let's turn this bickering into an episode. So now Should make it a game, which is <laughs> fun, but yeah, it is a lot of fun, a lot of heartbreak. Well, not to be a party poop and old bitch, but I think that we might need to start wrapping things up. I, I don't want to because, oh, my God, I'm having so much fun and yeah, I feel like there's great. still a lot more that we need to talk about. But I also don't want this episode to go uh, into the wee hours of the morning because, well, I only had four hours sleep last night because I, I, I got kids. I'm tired. Oh yeah, those things. They're kind of like demons. Kids will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> they they sure are. You do they have to exercise the them regularly. You got to exercise them. They come up out of the ground. Yeah. Wait, did your kids not sprout out of the ground? <laughs> yeah, you got to feed them blood every once in a while, just a little bit. Helen on myself. They're like a uh, little uh, Audrey twos. <laughs> yeah, that's I, know, I work with middle schoolers. They smell like they came out right out of the ground. So, I, God, God, my son my is gonna be thirteen room. next week, and uh, yeah, as a little teenager, you walk into his room, and it's like, oh boy, there is. Uh, it, it definitely has an earthy smell to it. Um, gross. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, you'll find out. I have a 12 year old who's been a teenager for three years now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they become teenagers a lot quicker nowadays. <laughs> oh, Just, uh, man. Yeah. My, my, my five-year-old already acts like a teenager sometimes. And dude, my three-year-old, when he's lying down in bed, like he props his arms up behind his head and he's like a little old man. Oh, it's hilarious. Cool over here. It's the best. Kids are great. We yeah. love our little demons. They are. It's true. Ah, uh, so so yeah, I I want to keep talking about this. Oh, yeah, there's so many great so many great lines in this movie. So much good stuff. But yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. That's the thing is, I feel like maybe mentioned that that Billy Zane would... shoots lightning out of his dick. We talked about so much dick in this, but uh, <laughs> didn't mention that. Lightning it's... Dick is the movie about young Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the prequel. Yeah. Whenever Warren Beatty uh, dies, and finally uh, you finally rip the rights out of his cold dead hands, then somebody's going to make a lightning dick prequel series. That's very true. Yeah, but no, I, I appreciate. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about, but I'm also getting texts my wife like, "Get the hell out of the bedroom so I can go to sleep." Yep. <laughs> I, I probably I, I have my notifications silenced. Uh, they start silencing around eleven, so my wife will text me stuff. The same exact thing. Like, I cannot sleep until you come up here. Please, for the love of God, finish up. <laughs> and then in the morning, when you turn your notifications off and you get like 30 texts, just like, oh, whoops. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, Brian, thank you so, so, yeah, so very much. Yeah, this has been an absolute blast. Oh, it, it, you are always invited. Hopefully, we can uh, work it out in the schedule to get you back, you know, more, more than once every three years. Sure. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned this at the beginning when I was introducing you. If I didn't, I know we've mentioned it a few times throughout the episode um, that that you co-host uh, Junk Food Cinema with uh, C. Robert Cargo. And it is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. I, I love it. I adore it. I'm going back through fun. and listening to the entire catalog right now. I don't <laughs> recommend that, but thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that's why Nathan hasn't listened to, the, to some of the later episodes at this point. He's going all the way back. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of a completionist, and I was like, you know what? There's a lot that I've missed. I'm just going to start at the beginning. And uh, it, it, it it was a great podcast ever since the beginning. And I'm, oh, I'm very kind of you. I, I love it. It's so much fun to listen to, and I cannot recommend it enough. But uh, how about you recommend it yourself and tell people where they can follow you, where they can follow the podcast, all of the self promotional stuff that you do at the end of podcasts. Absolutely, yeah. Junk food's available wherever you get your podcast. We're on pretty much all the social media platforms, including Blue Sky, uh, which is so new. I still don't know what our actual blue sky address is because there's a bunch of dots and this and that in there but i'm sure you can find us uh and then we do have a patreon i highly recommend if you like the show go to patreon.com slash junk food cinema help support us keeps the lights on keeps the demons out and we really do appreciate it it keeps the gerard butlers out of the attic i mean i if i was lucky enough to have an attic full of jerry butlers man i'm telling you and dan where do you want people following you oh you can find me over on twitter slash x slash whatever the hell that is at from hbo to front row and eric where can people see your lightning deck well <laughs> not online but uh but i can be found on on uh twitter at the chimerican uh t-h-e-c-h-i-m-e-r-i-c-a-n I'm also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. 
And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. Uh, and Eric, if people yep. like this episode, what should they do? Uh, they should, you know, rate us five stars and give us reviews and subscribe to us on whatever podcast, uh, pod, whatever thing you listen to. <laughs> Brian, you're so much better at this stuff. I, I almost like just started ripping off your spiel that you did. Yeah, and, and check out my new OnlyFans that I'm starting this year. It's a website where I stick my dick into different sizes of fans. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Brian. It's content. Ah. <laughs> uh. I don't even want yep. to ask a follow-up. Yeah, five-star. This is a five-star podcast right there. You've <laughs> elevated to six stars for that one, though. We we should just start rating based off of butlers. This is a five-butler podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, why should they keep coming back? <laughs> oh, geez, I don't know if they should after this one. We, I don't think we can follow it up. Because uh, we've got our October month of... Folkor. Oh, Jesus Christ. We're doing in October. Folk horror. Folk horror. That's right. Uh, we've got our folk horror punch out to come. And then the, the three films that we pick from there will be all coming up in October, as well as our Texas Chainsaw Massacre ranking episode. I need to watch those movies. Still have I've been I've been uh, steadily working my way through the series. And man, I can't wait to, to, to discuss mm-hmm. all of these. I'm just going to binge all of them over the span of two days and come into the episode just grunting like a chainsaw. Uh, (laughs) You can find links to all of our socials as well as the link to Discord, which is where we typically record our episodes at linktree.com slash videomonsterpod. So be sure to go there and uh, and yeah, click on all of the links, um, follow the podcast join us in discord be a part of the discussion throughout the week and also again be sure to go follow junk food cinema i am not lying when i say it is one of my favorite podcasts i adore it i adore it so much that sometimes it is honest to god an active struggle to not be too inspired by it during these episodes because it's like no no we, we we can't do what they're doing we have to do our own thing but it's so damn good <laughs> it is honestly a, a, a struggle sometimes 10 out of 10 butlers Yes. <laughs> 11 out of 10 lightning dicks alright Brian again thank you so so very much we have had an absolute blast um, and I forgot how we close things out oh right um, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters <laughs> you, <laughs> so you close it out by just screaming supper time <laughs> that's how you do it I think. Do you remember I close it out by saying That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, not ourselves. Good night, everybody.